Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We're so glad that you're here today. I'd like to welcome all those in our South Campus. So glad that you're with us, those watching online, those in our outdoor venue. It's a great day to be in church, and I am so glad that you are with us. We're continuing our series called Thankful, and this is a a great season for that. You know, oftentimes people, maybe in their mind, make a mental note of those things that they're thankful for during this uh, holiday season. Maybe you write it even down. And if I were to do that, I was, my list would look like yours. I'm thankful uh, for my family. I am thankful for this church. I'm thankful for uh, my job. I'm thankful that I, I woke up today. You know, we have so much to be thankful for. And thankfulness is more than just a feeling that you have one day a year or maybe one month out of the year. Genuine thankfulness is being appreciative of what you've been given. It's when you look back over your life and you realize uh, that, that God, what God has done, and you give him credit for what he has done in your life. You know, when you do that, you're actually following in his will. The very foundational scripture that we have for this uh, series comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. It says, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, we all have something to be thankful for. So today, I am thankful for God's mercy, and that's what we're going to talk about. Today, I'm thankful for God's mercy. Hey, did you hear about the lady that went to the professional photographer to have her picture made? And he set it up and took several shots and then paused uh, to go over what uh, he had taken so far. And he looked at her and she could, when she looked at the pictures, she had this look on her face. He said, what's wrong, ma'am? What's wrong? She said, "Uh, why this picture? This picture doesn't do me justice. He looked at her and said, ma'am, said, you don't need justice. You need mercy. (laughs) All of us need mercy whether we realize it or not. Uh, And we have been recipients of God's mercy. I think God has been good to us, not because we deserved it, not because we have earned it, but God loves us and he is graciously giving us so many blessings. So we're gonna start off with a simple definition and we'll use this throughout the message. Mercy is undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. Mercy is undeserved forgiveness, and it's unearned kindness. When somebody forgives you and you don't deserve it, that is mercy. When somebody uh, shows you kindness and you cannot repay them, that's mercy. I believe that God treats you and me with mercy every second of our lives. Everything that God does in you and everything God does for you and through you He does by his mercy. It's all because of his mercy. So today we're gathering and we're declaring, God, I am thankful. I am thankful for God's mercy in our lives. 
Now, when you look back, when you look back over your life, have you ever faced this situation where you actually wondered, am I going to be able to get through this situation? Think back. Think about your life. Maybe it's this past year. Maybe it's in a, uh, previous years. You think back that you faced a situation so difficult, so challenging, that you wondered, am I going to be able to get through this situation? I mean, the obstacle was so large. The breakup hurt so badly. The medical report was so negative that you did not see a way out of it. But God, in his mercy, not because you earned it, not because you deserved it, but God, in his mercy, God turned your situation around. God gave you strength. He gave you strength so that you could take another day, take another step, go another day. That God gave you the strength so that you could go on. God brought the right, brought the right person in your life. Maybe he promoted you. He gave you that break that you needed. And you, when you look back, you know that it wasn't just a lucky break. You look back at your life, you know it wasn't just a lucky break, but you see in your life, it was the hand of God on your life. It wasn't a coincidence, it was God's hand on your life. Without his help, <laughs> you would have never gotten out of it. You would have never gotten out of his, that mess that you were in, that I was in, if it hadn't been for God's help. Maybe you would have never broken that addiction or you would have never uh, moved uh, found that right person. And the list goes on and on and on that God made a way. God shared mercy on you. What's mercy? God gave you undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. Today, I want, to, uh, I want you to focus on a story, a very familiar story from the Old Testament. It's the story of Jonah. And maybe some of you, if you were reared in Sunday school, you, you heard about Jonah and the big fish. God told Jonah to go uh, preach at the city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was on the Tigris River, and it's in modern-day Iraq. They tell me that if you go to Mosul, which some of you have been to Mosul, and right across from Mosul, you'll see the ruins of the city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh at that time was the biggest and it was the most important city uh, in all the world. It was considered at that point to be the center, to be the center of the universe. And God told Jonah to go. He said, Jonah, I want you to go and I want you to share the good news with the people. But here's the problem. Jonah simply did not want to go. I'm sure Jonah had his reasons. He was raised in a small town, maybe of 500 people in a village, a small... And he probably felt intimidated with the most important city of all the, uh, the universe at that time. Or maybe it was because the people of, the Nineveh, of Nineveh and the people of Israel, they considered themselves to be mortal enemies. And he said, I just don't know if I want to go hang out with those people that I've been taught to not like. But for whatever reason, Jonah rejected the call. Jonah turned the other way. In fact, instead of going to Nineveh, he went in the opposite direction. He got on a boat, headed the wrong way. We pick up the story in Jonah chapter 1 and was verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish 
to flee from the Lord. Now, Jonah was called to go to Nineveh, but he decided not to go. Now, in life, you are given the, the ability to make choices. You get to choose. You get to choose uh, to do anything that you want to do. God gives you that kind of freedom. But hear me, with every choice that you make, there are consequences. God gives you the freedom to make those choices, but God does not give you, uh, make you free from the consequences of the choices that you make. You're free to make the choices, but God does not uh, give you the freedom from the consequences. So Jonah, instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah ran. He ran the other way. I think there are three things that we can learn from Jonah about what happens when we turn around and we run away from God. You look at the third verse, you'll see it's interesting here. In the third verse, you see Jonah went down to Nineveh. Verse 5, he was on the boat. It said that he went, uh, he went down to Tarshish. He went down, he went down to Joppa to get on the boat. He went down to Joppa. Then he went down uh, on the boat to the lower level. And in chapter 2, in verse 6, he sank down in the water. So there's three times in this story that you see the, the word down. What's the lesson from that? I believe that when you run from God, your life will go downhill. When you run from God, when you go in the opposite direction, your life's going to go downhill. Running from God is always a slide. It's a degrading, it's a downhill slide. Verse 3, he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port after paying the fare. He went aboard and sailed for Tarshish. So it's interesting that not only did he go down to Joppa and he got on a ship, but he, after paying the fare, what we see here is that when you run from God, you're going to pay a price for that. When you run from God, you're going to pay a price. He paid the fare. It's going to cost him. He paid the fare to sell. There's always a price tag when you make a decision to run away from the Lord. There's this emotional price tag. There's this relational price tag. There's a, a physical price tag. There's a financial price tag. There's a spiritual price tag. It always costs you when you make that decision to run. Some of you are running right now. And you're running and you've been living in denial. But I just want you to pause just for a moment. And I want you to take an honest look at your life. I want you to take an honest look at the circumstances around you and ask yourself, what is this decision I'm making? What is it really costing me? So many times we don't weigh the cost. We don't even consider the cost. All we want is what we want, and that's what we're going to go after. And God often calls and God prompts and God says, don't go there. God has people in our lives to say, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. Uh, we'll hear a message. We'll hear a song. We'll see a sign. All kind of things that God uses to get your attention. But instead of turning around, you're headlong going in and doing what you want to do. And so I'm just saying simply pause for a minute. Just think about it. What's it really 
costing you? What's it cost? Go down a few weeks. Go down a few months. What does your life look like in a couple of years? What is this decision actually costing you? Because when you run from God, you will pay a price. Jonah was told to go to Nineveh, which is east, but instead he goes to Tarshish, which is as far west as you could possibly go in that day. Now, here's a map on the side screens, and you'll see Joppa. He went down to Joppa, and if you're going to go... um, to Nineveh, it would be about 550 miles. But he didn't do that. He was called to go to Nineveh about 550 miles. Instead, he went to Tarshish. He went 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. From um, So how much do you think that cost? He found that ship. He bought the tickets. He got on boat. And in his mind, I'm going on a Mediterranean cruise. I'm going cruising. Verse 4, then what happened? The Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and it was such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. This big wind comes, such a violent wind that the ship is like, okay, it's about to break up. Notice this. It says the Lord sent a great wind. It was an opposing wind. Why? Because God loved Jonah and God had mercy on him. So he sent an opposing wind. Have you ever had an opposing wind blow into your life? I mean, you're trying to make something happen in your life and for whatever reason, it is simply not happening. Doesn't matter what you do. It is like there is this invisible force that's keeping you from doing what you want to do, from moving ahead. Look, when you run from God, you're going to face opposition because of God's mercy. You're going to face opposition. You want it to happen, but if God doesn't want it to happen, he is going to put an opposing wind, and that opposing wind is going to blow into your life, and you're going to find yourself taking maybe two steps forward, but that wind blows in, and then you end up going three steps backwards. That opposing wind is trying to slow you down. That opposing wind is trying to stop you. It's trying to keep you from uh, making a, a, a mistake trying to keep you from something worse happening to you. Now, here's something very practical. You've got to figure this out. And this is what I do. When and something's happening like this, an opposing wind coming against me, I ask this question now, is this God or is this the devil? Is this God or is this the devil? Because I need, at that moment in my life, I need discernment. You know, I need to know, God, is this you trying to keep me from something that I don't need to do, or is this the enemy trying to stop me for something you've called me to do? And so it is a time that when you feel this opposition, the first thing, I want you to just come back and pray and just say, God, give me clarity, give me discernment. I pray like this, God, please open the doors that I'm to walk through, but God, please close the door that I'm to stay away from. Close it tightly. Because there's times, I just don't know. 
I need him and, and his Holy Spirit to give me that sense of discernment, that sense of insight. I need him to lead me on the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I need him to order my steps. Because there are times where the enemy will come in. There are times when the enemy of your soul will war against you. And here's the difference. God will send an opposing wind to build you up. The enemy will send a force to tear you down. God is always building you up. The enemy wants to steal, wants to kill, and wants to destroy you. The enemy comes to take you down. God will send uh, trials to build you up, to purify your faith. When you run from God, you're going to face opposition. It's that simple. Now, God doesn't want you to get hurt. And God doesn't want other people who are close to you to get hurt. Maybe it's your spouse. You know, when you make a decision to run from the Lord, your decision has consequences. It has consequences in your life. It has consequences in your business. It has consequences in your family. You're running from God and you are bringing consequences on yourself and it affects other people. When you sin, it never just affects you, but it affects other people. Think about this. Think about just the thought of anger. Now, anger is not a sin. Anger is an emotion. It's an emotion that God has placed inside of all of us. So we get angry. All of us get angry. Now, the Bible says something very clearly. It says, now, when you get angry, deal with it quickly. In fact, it said, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Here's why that's important. Because if you don't deal with that, if you just sit on that anger and it just stays there, it's going to grow. But you know what? When anger turns inward... It becomes bitterness. So if you don't deal with your anger, it's going to turn inward, and it's going to become bitterness. And you're going to become a bitter person. Now, the Bible says that we need to be on guard because there's a root of bitterness that springs up, and that root of bitterness will defile many people. So if we don't deal with these things, we are running, we don't deal with it, it defiles us, but then it springs out of us and, and hurts a lot of different people. I'll never forget, several years ago, been a long time ago, I was called uh, to, uh, to do a funeral about an hour from here. So I drive up and I go to the funeral home, and I walk in the funeral home, and there's the casket over there, and there's the son-in-law standing looking over the casket. Now, I want to be respectful and let people grieve as they need to grieve. And after an appropriate time, I went and just stood by him. I just wanted to have that ministry of presence and just stand by him. Now, I'm expecting him to say something moving at that time, but he looks at me and he points to that body in that casket. He said, you see that woman right there? She's a mean old woman. <laughs> what do you say to that? What do you say? Well, yep, she sure was. <laughs> Church member sat on the third row. <laughs> Look, I don't want 
your son-in-law standing over your casket saying, you're a mean old man or you're a mean old woman. Okay, I just don't want that for you. Because I know it will affect other people. We've got to deal with issues. We can't run from the issues. And sometimes it's very difficult to deal with the issues. But we take that step. We do what we can do to live at peace with other people. Sometimes there's some people you just can't live at peace with. Granted, this is the message of Romans. As long as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. But he's implying that sometimes you just can't do that. I am saying this. There's times you're going to face opposition. And sometimes that wind is blowing for God to oppose you. Other times it is Satan trying to steal kill and destroy you. You have to have that discernment. Let's go back to the passage. Jonah chapter one, verse four. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship was threatened to break up. All the sailors, they were afraid and they cried out. They cried out to their own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Now, what we see here is everybody's life was threatened because of the disobedience of this one man. Jonah's causing a lot of problems for other people simply by his decision to run from the Lord. Okay, let's bring it home. Who are you causing problems for? Okay, this is not for the person sitting beside you or anything else, but who are you causing problems for? In our South Campus, let me be clear, who are you causing problems for? Who is being hurt by your sin? Verse five, all the sailors were afraid. They cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Interesting here. This is typical. This is typical human behavior. When you are in a storm, you start throwing valuable things away. You start throwing away valuable relationships. You start throwing away your values. You start throwing away your habits. You stop going to church. When we're in a storm, we start throwing things away. We've seen that. We've seen that this year with COVID-19. A storm blew in. And I'm telling you, right when it blew in, everybody rallied, right? Everybody rallied. We couldn't go to church, so we had online campuses. And our online numbers were through the roof. Our Easter numbers of impressions, we had 45,000 impressions, which doesn't mean that 45,000 people watched it, but that they watched a portion of it interesting thing about online church, we actually know who, uh, where the person is watching from. We know how long you watch. I know that if you listen to the music and you log off right before I preach. <laughs> it's scary, but I know that. So I know. It, and so it is so weird. I mean, there's an eye watching you. It's called the internet. And, and, you know, it is so interesting. We can point it down to the geographical area where you're, you're watching from. It's, it's really something. And so what we saw is our numbers were through the roof. 
But then about four or five weeks into that, you started to, after Easter, you started to see things tail off. And we opened up on, on March 31st. I just knew that we would have the crowd that we have today. This is a great crowd today. I just knew all of us would be here then, but we didn't. And what we saw is we went through the summer and, and things uh, fell off uh, in person and online. And so many times we use events like that, storms like that, to disconnect with those things that are important. And it is so necessary for us to reconnect and for us to help other people reconnect. Because it is a dangerous world that we're living in. And we're living in some of the most critical times that I have ever seen in my lifetime. And we need the power of the Lord and we need the, the community of the local church. And so we need that. We don't need to throw away those things that are valuable. To give up on stuff that we really need. But that's what these folks did. They started throwing overboard everything that, that they could throw over to lighten the, the ship's load. Now, while the Everybody was threatened on board. Jonah had gone down in the ship, down to the lower level. Notice he went down to Joppa. Now he's going down to the lower level. And this guy is sound asleep. Then the captain came down and said, how in the world can you sleep? Do you not know that we're about to die here? How are you sleeping? Get up and call on your God. Now the storm continued. Now these pagans... You know, they were rolling the dice. They were literally rolling the dice to determine whose fault it was because they knew it had to be somebody's fault for this storm to come. And sure enough, the dice landed on Jonah and they went to Jonah and he confessed that he was running from the Lord. And the storm intensified at that point. They got out their oars and they started rowing and rowing, trying to row against the storm, trying to get to shore. But the harder they worked, the further they went away from where they wanted to go. Some of you are rowing against the storm. That wind is blowing hard against your life and and instead of addressing it, you're just rowing harder and harder and harder and harder. You're just trying to get through it. Could it be that this storm you're in is God's attempt to get your attention? How much worse does your job have to get before you do something about it? How much worse does this situation have to be before you wake up and say, okay, I've had enough? How bad does it have to be before you turn around and you run toward the Lord instead of running away from God? That storm intensified. And they tried rowing against it, but they just simply couldn't. Here's the point. God loves you the way you are. God loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. God loves you right where you are, 
fighting against him, pushing against him, rowing against him. He loves you right where you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. That captain asked Jonah what they should do to stop the storm. And he said, throw me overboard. And they threw Jonah overboard, and now he is treading water in the middle of this ocean, and it looked like his life was over, that he was getting exactly what he deserved. I am sure as he is treading water, he is feeling guilty. He's feeling like his life is finished. The situation was impossible, and nothing was going to change it. But God, in his mercy... But God, in his mercy, made a way for Jonah. Verse 17, now the Lord, now the Lord provided. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Just a little side note, three days and three nights. Jesus was in the tomb three days and three nights. So this is a little shadow of of the coming of Jesus. The Lord provided this huge ship. God reached out, and he provided a way of escape. Now, Jonah's been swallowed by this big big fish. He's in the belly of it. And I would imagine he's thinking, man, I am so glad I didn't drown in that water. But it sure stinks in here. I mean, very practically. But I also would imagine that the negative voices that uh, were attacking his mind, saying things like this, you deserve everything you're getting. You belong here. You'll never get out of here. Your life will never improve. This is what it is, and you might as well get used to it. Some of you have heard those voices before. You've heard those negative voices speaking to you, saying that you'll never get out of this mess. Your life will never be any better than it is right now. And you've heard that over and over and over. But instead of listening to those voices, Jonah began to pray. Chapter 2, from the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed. He prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, in my distress, I called. I called to the Lord and he answered me. Okay, I want to talk to you. What is it going to take for you to do that? What is it going to take for you to call on the Lord? Jonah said, in my distress, I called on the Lord. What kind of distress? What kind of challenge? What kind of opposing wind? What is it going to take for you to turn and call on the Lord? When Jonah was in the belly of that fish, he he called on the Lord. He he stepped out. It's a prayer of faith. Jonah believed that God was going to have mercy on him. And mercy is undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. Jonah didn't deserve to be forgiven, but God had mercy. God had mercy. And as soon as Jonah got through praying, the scripture says, and the Lord commanded, and the Lord commanded, and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. And the Lord commanded. What does that tell you? God caused that fish to spit Jonah up on the dry ground. 
It tells me that God is in control of the universe. That God can use whatever it is that is holding you back, that dysfunction, uh, that addiction, the sickness, the legal problem, whatever um, it is, in a split second, those things that are holding you back, God can touch your life and it can set you free. When Jonah came out of this, this fish, God gave him a second chance. Chapter three, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh, proclaim it, uh, the message I give you. I believe God wants to do the same for you. God wants to give you a second chance. This time Jonah answered the call. This time Jonah believed. The point is that Jonah made a wrong turn, but that didn't stop God's plan because your mistakes are not your final destiny. You have to come to the place where you look to the Lord and say, God, give me mercy. And you understand that God's mercy is bigger than your mistake. That God's mercy is bigger than your mistake. I want, to hear, I want you to hear a story of someone who made a lot of mistakes. But what we see in this story and we see in his life is that God's mercy is bigger than the mistakes that he has made. Today, I want to introduce you to somebody you know one of our staffers, and his story, the story of Eric Kennedy. Yeah, I mean, I get emotional because I hadn't been here in a long time, and the last time I was here, it was, it was just a scary time in life, and I put myself in those dangerous situations. I mean, we're in a cemetery, you know. Ten years ago was like the darkest time of my life. Um, I had no relationship with anybody, especially God. So I first tried pot when I was in high school. I started experimenting with, you know, drinking more and um, doing cocaine and smoking more pot. That was my favorite time of the day to drink and do drugs was in the morning or in the middle of the night because I felt like there was nobody up. Like I wouldn't run into my parents or I had no responsibility because the world wasn't awake yet. I could do what I wanted to do. It replaces everything that you should have as your number one. Um, and so... It's a powerful thing. I mean, drugs are powerful substances that, that when you become addicted to it, um, it just takes over how you live your life and choices you make. I never hesitated to um, either leave the boys at home alone when they were two and three years old. Other things were more important. Um, never hesitated to put them in the car. Um, uh, the second DUI I got, um, I remember I flipped my truck and the car seat had flown out of the truck, but I couldn't remember if I had Cameron with me. I didn't, luckily enough. I remember I went to the Piggly Wiggly in town and I bought uh, three bottles of Tylenol PM 
and I took every one of them and I made sure I turned my phone off in case I, you know, randomly called somebody um, because I didn't want to wake up. I didn't want people to think I was an alcoholic or that I had a problem or to find out that I had this problem. Um, but I woke up the next morning, like, just like I get up every morning. The judge said, um, you've got two days to get into a recovery center or you're going to prison. So I kept calling around and I finally found um, a place where I told them the whole story from start to finish. And it was called the Florida Center for Recovery and um, gave them my insurance information. They flew me out that day. I landed in Florida on September 26th um, and I started on September 27th with my walk in recovery and understanding what it's like to kind of just hit life's reset button. My step in, in my recovery was I had about a year clean when I received an invitation to visit church. Once I found the church and understood what it was like to um, have a relationship with Jesus and decided to get baptized, um, that was my turning point in recovery. What I say, I learned how to pray. Um, I would let go, lay hands on the, the beat up truck that I had and thank him for that truck. And I would go outside and lay hands on the apartment that I had and, and thank him for those walls. And you know, God's really changed my life a lot, like, like a whole lot. We're just, we're just, I'm just thankful. I'm thankful God chose me to just be an example. He's just been super faithful in, sh in showing me mercy over these past 10 years, and I feel like that he's not done with me. I feel like there's so much more to come. Um, and sometimes I don't know if I'm ready for it, to be honest with you, because he has picked me up and literally just thrown me through door after door after door after door. But I never said I wouldn't walk through it. Here's the big point, that God is bigger than your mistakes. And God's gonna give you what you need, not what you deserve. And that's what Eric was saying in his story. He's made a lot of mistakes, but God gave him what he needed, not what he deserved. He gave him a second chance. I believe today God is here to give you a second chance. God is here to extend mercy upon you. God is here to bring help in time of need. It is not by accident that you're in this room today. It's not by accident that you're in our South Augusta campus or that you're watching online or on demand. God has you here because he wants to speak very clearly. He's calling you to him. He's calling you to turn around and to run to him. The path that you're on is not leading you to the place that he wants you to go. And so today, he's asking you to turn it around. Put your life in his hands. Trust him to be the leader and the Lord of your life and to walk with him. 
He'll take you places you've never dreamed. But all of that begins with one step. All of that begins with a a decision saying, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Are you willing to do that? Are you ready to do that? We're going to pray in just a few minutes. And that's the very first prayer we're going to pray. Jesus, help me. So how many of you today will say that, Marty, you're talking to me, and I'm ready to pray that prayer? It's those that I want to talk to and I want to pray for, first of all. And then we're going to lead in a couple of other prayers. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would move in this room, move in our South Augusta campus right now. Let your presence be strong. And Father, for those people that have never made a decision to follow Jesus, let this be the moment that they cry out. And I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, save me. Just say that. Say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me of my sins. I want you to pray this. Say, Jesus, make me into the kind of person that you want me to be. I give you my life. I give you my past. And I trust you with my future. Save me. And fathers, they're praying that prayer. I ask that the miracle of salvation would be extended throughout uh, this congregation. God, I'm also praying for those that are rededicating their lives, those that have have slipped and fallen, that they're making things right. And finally, Father, I am praying for those moms and dads that have prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. I'm praying for those that have prodigal parents. God, I am praying because so many of us in this room, so many of us have people that we love that that they're on this run away from you. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would extend mercy. Now, just start to call their name out. In your mind, in your heart, just call their name out. Say, in the name of Jesus, touch this person. Call that name out. God, bring help, bring encouragement, bring life in Jesus' name. Now, let's all stand together. We're going to close out this service with a a closing prayer uh, for our nation. Father, it has been a very challenging and difficult season for our nation. God, from the beginning of the year, dealing with COVID-19 through the crisis in our nation, the marketplace and the crisis uh, throughout the political uh, election. God, come and have mercy upon us. God, come and move right now. First of all, touch us as Stevens Creekers. And God, give us the insight and the wisdom and give us discernment to know right from wrong. And God, let our lives line up with your will and your word. And so, Father, right now, we pray for our church that we would not only be uh, faithful believers, but we would be good citizens and that we would be agents of peace in this community that you've called us to. Now, Father, not only are we praying for our church, but we're praying for the CSRA. We're praying, God, for Columbia County and Richmond County and Aiken County. We're praying for Lincoln County and McDuffie County and Jefferson County. 
God, we're asking you to touch Edgefield County. Move upon this area, God, and let there be uh, a sense of your presence and let there be a revival that, uh, that sweeps through our community. I pray, Father, that you would move upon the state of Georgia and South Carolina, and specifically the state of Georgia. God, over the next six weeks, God, I ask that you would send your angels to protect this state. God, to guard us from outside influences and let us focus on you and you alone. So, Father, we pray not only for our state and our home, but we pray for America. God, you have shed your grace and you have given us mercy. And today, as, a, as Americans, as believers in Jesus, we ask that you would come and let righteousness prevail. God, I ask that you would expose the evil. I ask, God, that you would expose the wrongdoing. And God, let there be a sense of repentance that would sweep over our nation. I pray for our leaders, Lord, our, our leaders, our state leaders in South Carolina and Georgia. I pray for our national leaders. I ask God that you would move upon them and that you would protect them. Let no harm or danger come to them. We pray in the name of Jesus that nobody but Jesus would run our nation and nobody but Jesus would run uh, the leaders of our nation. So come, Lord, we stand here asking you um, and calling on your name to move upon our nation and to bring peace. Father, not only that, but your word tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And so, Father, I pray, God, that you would help us stand strong as we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, as we follow the scriptures, as we stand with Israel. And God, let us stand, Lord, believing that, you, uh, that your kingdom will come on earth, in Washington, in Atlanta, in Columbia, in Georgia, and in South Carolina. Let your kingdom come to Stevens Creek Church and let your will be done. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. God bless you today. May the peace of the Lord be with you this week. I look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.